As refugees who supported our efforts look to move to surrounding countries, we will work in close partnership to support. As part of this agreement, Canada will welcome 5,000 refugees evacuated by United States. And welcome back. That is Immigration Minister Mendocino announcing these 5,000 Afghan refugees. But this is on a day that we learned in this ongoing horror of watching what is happening in Afghanistan. We learned that 1,250 Canadians are still left behind. And we did have some assurances from the government today saying, you know, we're looking into it we'll stay there. We're looking at every possibility. But these are words and they're words put together in a sentence. They're not giving a lot of Canadians the assurances they need. Let's talk about the week it has been as we watched Afghanistan. The United States troops are now out Will we start to forget, or are those images stuck in our brains? Richard Shamuka is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Richard, welcome. Good evening. Thanks for having me. We've seen it all, and it hasn't been pretty. And then today we got a number. It was confusing. 1,250, though, we now know have been left behind, at least at least that amount Richard, for many Canadians, that's completely unacceptable. How are you looking at that number and all the lack of planning and the questions we've had all week? Uh, That number only consists of the people who are uh, citizens of Canada or their families. And And it doesn't take into account the large number of people that work with Canadian government during our, you know, over 20 years of involvement in the country. That means you know, the interpreters that everybody talks about the military side. But, I mean, there's just as many, there's even more people, I should say, that worked with our sort of development uh, and aid and diplomatic uh, assistance to the country over those years. And those people, in many cases, are in just as dire, if not worse, state because they, are, they were on the front lines. They were dealing with, you know, the people on the ground and, and were often targets of, of retribution by the Taliban. And there's no there's no accounting for that number. There's there could be literally thousands, if not like tens of thousands mm-hmm. of people that have those kind of links. And that's this is not what this number is about. Right. That number is just the Canadians. Yeah, it's small, are, but all are. the people who had connections to Canada and the way that the Canadian public knows they helped us. We understand this. This is against this is against the human reciprocal law this is against how we were brought up this is oh, absolutely uh, yeah. these these people basically trusted us to you know they, they bought into the promise of what we were trying to sell them for lack of a better word which is you know a freer more just uh afghan society that was completely different than the taliban that came before them and they've they've been completely abandoned and then you know literally abandoned in the country right not just not just the ideas that they were trying to fight for and i mean it's it's horrifying uh, for somebody you know who's studied worked in foreign policy for you know decades now it's utterly it's heart-wrenching right uh there's not much to say about it no I, except one of the most uh, incredible things is to hear the people's stories that there are people as a as a US former US soldier said to me who is now a military analyst he said you know here I am I know these people and I know you know these stories where we've heard many of them even all from a Canadian point of view and then he said why am I doing this why is this up to me there are people 
who should be responsible for this. And I'm staring at the ceiling and crying in the middle of the night and trying to help little kids and families and people get out of it. That's one of the most incredible parts of this story. I mean, I've been in contact with a number of people in the same, in the very same sort of way. Um, you know, people who have worked in the country or, you know, have been there. And you're right. I mean, why are, why, uh, it's kind of really jarring, I think, for any Canadian to kind of sit down and, and wonder why so much of this was relying on sort of ad hoc, you know, even private companies and whatnot to just try to get people out when, I mean, the warning signs were there. This is not, there's been efforts for by I would say, opposition parties and whatnot to kind of push the Canadian government and private citizens, I should say, to push the government to resettle a large number of these people who were already in danger well before, you know, the, the collapse of the country um, in the last month and a bit here. That these people are in danger. We need to get them out and expedite. And, and nothing was happening. And then we have the election that was announced a couple weeks ago. And, and that just basically put... I would say chill, but it certainly uh, gummed up the works in order to get people uh, to to get to expedite the uh, these people to get them out of the country as fast as possible in, in the face of this massive calamity. And Richard, the images, there was some criticism that Justin Trudeau should have stepped off the campaign trail to become a prime minister, even the optics of it, all the things that you and I have been talking about. But the campaign continued, as you said. So there were promises and pledges and traveling, and these this horrible situation was unfolding before us. Was that right, Richard? Or may we look back on that moment and think that perhaps it wasn't the correct thing to do? Uh, I think once the election was called, the die was cast. Uh, it's not just mm-hmm. Justin Trudeau. It's not just the leader. I mean, you need you have staffers who work within the offices. You have. Um, you know, you have the ministers involved that, that even though I know Garneau has stepped mm-hmm. away and I know Sajan has suggested that he is, he did take time away uh, from campaigning in order to, you know, to work on this issue. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, unless they were sitting there spending all their time sort of working and their full staff component is underneath them and the government is not in a caretaker mode. That is a, that is a key fundamental understanding that uh, is not there, is that the government is technically, the bureaucracy is not supposed to, make major decisions unless that's there uh, once once the election was called that that just completely ossified for lack of error you know slowed up the ability for the government to respond i mean even now we we have issues to get people across now that there's no air bridge into kabul the the closest way to get out is through pakistan right and but we need the pakistani government to start issuing visas uh you know for individuals giving them having a greater length of time in the um, in to accept refugees for a longer period of time so that they can use that as a uh, trans uh, transport point to, in order to go to Canada or whatnot. But that can't happen because you have a government that is literally campaigning. Half of it is campaigning. Mm-hmm. Their half is, by law to some degree, unable to actually make major decisions. So it, it wouldn't matter. I mean, it, the minute that, that election was called, it's, it changed the uh, it changed the response completely. What about on the campaign trail? And we all, you know, we want the government, whatever new government, this government, we want them to do everything they can to make this happen. As you said, through Pakistan, what do we do? What is being done? We were given some kind of insurance today that they were going to go through every avenue. 
is this should this become a campaign issue? Should the, all the leaders been asked, what will they do to bring not just Canadians home, but those who helped us and bought into the plan? Well, I think that that's part of it. I, I mean, like I sort of described before with what happens, what's happened in Pakistan and other countries. But there's there's ways that the Canadian government can kind of alter its response in order to facilitate people coming to the country. That won't happen until the election is basically over and we, we have a, a winner, for lack of a better word, right? And, and that means um, reducing the requirements for, um, for refugees. Like right now, we have to have people, people have to get to a third country in order to identify themselves as refugees so that they can come to Canada, right? A lot of these people won't be able to do that or they won't be able to cross borders it's, it's going to be really difficult for them to meet a lot of the requirements, but those can't change until an election hap- or the election is over. So, I, I mean, I, all, the parties, um, all the parties have said that they, they're fully behind this and they want to sort of do what they can to facilitate this effort, right? But, and, I, and I believe them. I mean, you can, you can look at, let's say, Aaron O'Toole, who's, who's actually made comments about this several years back. I mean, Jagmeet Singh has, spoke, Singh has spoken about this before, right? Uh, it's it's not like this is the problem. We're in an election and there's nothing that can happen or very limited tools that, that can be applied at this stage of, at this stage of time in order, to, uh, in order to facilitate their movement. What do you think the fallout is going to be? Is this going to make any difference in the election campaign, in image? And what will the fallout be after as we come to grips with this? Are we just going to look away? I think it already has. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not a, the closest political watcher, but I think if you uh, if you look at some of the sort of polling, some of the discussions, uh, a lot of the sort of questions and criticisms that are um, being leveled at uh, Trudeau's government, I think that it has. I think it's really difficult not to. Uh, I think it's really interesting because a large portion of the journalists and people in the media did actually go to Afghanistan, right, during during the time we were there, and they have links there. And so a lot of them feel a personal kind of connection to this because they know people who are who were stuck in the country or whatnot, right? And for them, it's very real, right? Like, they, they, they feel this issue. And so you, that's why I think you see a bit of an edge in some of the reporting because they have a personal mm-hmm. connection to that. And, and, and I think that's point. translating into, into how it's being perceived in the public, Right. And not just that, I mean, the images that you're seeing that are coming out of Afghanistan, uh, I mean, it's, it's horrifying, like public executions and whatnot, right? The, the suicide bomb, it just, it just really doesn't play well. And, and I think that the delayed response, which is, I think, now becoming the outcome or the, the outcome of which is, is trying to become clear because these people now can't get out. And we are hearing reports of some people being identified on lists and being you know, targeted or executed. That's not going to go away, especially when, again, a lot of the people, who, the journalists, know the people who are who were there, right? So, yeah, it, it matters, it, and yeah, it, it's it going to affect things. And that you can't get that out of your heart, and you can't get at that out of your soul. And if you can, then there's something wrong. Richard Shamuka, who's a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, thank you, Richard, for your analysis tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. On point, Global News Radio.